0: and uh, he's wreaking havoc in the nursery right now with some of your kiddos too i saw uh, uh, several in there so um so that's our family and uh, you probably drove you parked in the parking lot which i assume you did as opposed to what other option? I'm not certain. So you would have seen our home. We, we are, we're on the road about nine and a half, ten months out of the year. We base out of Nashville. Of course, Pastor Vince and I, as many of you have already, I've already met at the ranch before. We we connected there, and that's where we got our ministry start. And so uh, we've been traveling since, uh, since 2001. We've been traveling full-time and um, traveling and preaching since 2005. So it's a great privilege to be able to be here this morning. And that's just the introduction. That's, that's like the um, when you meet somebody and you, and you exchange pleasantries of, hey, your name, what do you work, what do you do? And most of us, that's as deep as we get. But this week... Um, we'll have opportunity to spend a little bit more time together, and I'm anticipating getting to meet you all a little bit a little bit more than just the uh, name and uh, rank and serial number. Um, we're going to be in the book of Revelation this morning. If you have your Bible, turn with me, please. And let's go to Revelation chapter 4. And I think this is a great place for us to start as we begin this week of revival meetings, more accurately, meetings where we're seeking God for revival. And I do hope you'll come to every service that you possibly can. I do not, I don't know what your personal habit is as far as uh, if you always stay for the afternoon service um, or if you normally come, if there's, when there's special meetings, if you normally come to the special meetings, whatever your normal habit is, I hope you'll do everything within your power to come to the services, seven o'clock, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And it's, it's three nights. It's, it's short, but it's important. And uh, so I hope you'll come. We'll look together at the scriptures and uh, we'll sing in the services and my family will sing. The boys will be involved in the special music. Britt will sing. Um, so you'll enjoy all of that, I'm confident. But I'm also confident that we'll be helped by what the scriptures have to say. And Revelation 4 is one of these passages that is a great um, a great place for us to start, not only just for this morning, but as a foundation for everywhere that God has for us to go over the next several services that we get to spend time together. So Revelation chapter 4, and in just a minute, I'm going to read two verses at the very end of the chapter, verses 10 and 11, that are familiar verses. But before we look at these two verses, I, I want to set up the scene for you, so that you know why these two verses are in the Bible in the first place. Most of you are probably familiar with the fact that the Book of Revelation is written as a, uh, as a informational, almost historical, but it's futuristic. It's a prophetical book that lays out things in such a way as if they've already happened. That is, you get to see in a storyline, in a narrative things that are going to take place in the future. Now, actually, the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, the Lord Jesus Christ writes letters to different churches and instructs them. He he tells them things that need to change. He encourages them on things that they're doing well and doing right. And there's certainly a lot to be learned from the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. In chapter 4, it kind of switches and now a scene unfolds in heaven where we see a display of God's greatness and his glory his grandeur it's almost I mean if if you if you read the passage and allow your brain to see it it's a scene like Isaiah describes When he talks about how he saw the Lord high and lifted up and the angels that surround the throne of God and the glory and the majesty. If you can get past the place where you just look at what we're about to read as black words on a white piece of paper that's informational and somehow it's supposed to help us in our life and if you allow yourself to step into that moment and to look around and see the people that are surrounding you and try to allow yourself to get a sense of what the emotion would be in in this scene as it unfolds. Dust off the imagination a little bit and watch take place what God records for us here in Revelation chapter 4. The scene is this. Those who have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ are gathered together in heaven. Hundreds of thousands of people. So so many that with our eyes, we, we we couldn't even guesstimate at what they are if we were to look out at the crowd. All of them standing together and everybody facing in one direction and where they are facing is up towards a platform. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us a lot about this. Here's how my mind sees it. A large platform with about 30 or 40 steps made out of marble or granite or something of that nature that lead up to this massive platform. And then on the platform, the Bible says, is a throne. And seated on the throne is the Almighty God. With our natural eyes, with the eyes we have in our heads right now, we could not even look at the throne and at God because of the glory that emanates from Him. The Bible describes a rainbow that surrounds the throne there are beasts that fly around the throne who cease not to to declare the holiness of God. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And also on the platform surrounding the throne, there are 24 seats, smaller, much smaller than the majestic throne on which God himself sits. And on these 24 seats, are what the Bible refers to as elders. Now, we don't know exactly who these men are. Um, my, my guess would be that these are 24 men who have served God with their lives and uh, were honored because of that. The Bible does say they had crowns on their heads that were given to them for their faithful servants, service to our Lord. The beasts, the throne, The glory, the brightness of God emanating. The rainbow, the platform, the steps. And then those who are the called according to His purpose. Now typically, anytime that there's a gathering of any kind... Because of traveling and preaching, getting to preach to people quite often, it's not unusual while I'm speaking for something else to grab the attention of people um, that are in the crowd, in the congregation when I'm preaching. So somebody walks in the back door or all of a sudden you remember that you need to pick up milk this evening or something important like you need to clip your fingernails or balance your checkbook if anybody uses one of those. It's not unusual when I'm preaching for me to look out and see people not as engaged in what it is that's going on, just just for what it's worth, just so you know. I think you already know this. But just as well as you can see me, I can see you, just so you know. So the, so I, the reason I say that is sometimes people whisper to people beside them, but they do it in a way as if to say, he can't see me do it if I whisper like like if I'm... if I whisper like this, then he can't, like I'm looking, they're looking at me like, I'm listening to you, I'm listening to you while I'm whispering to the person next to me. Just so you know, I can can see it, just like you can see me. So that's not unusual. But on this day, (laughs) there's none of that. Every eye is fastened on what is taking place upon this platform. If you did take a moment and look around, you would see the faces of fellow believers who have anticipated this moment for their entire lives when faith has become sight and there's no longer a doubt about whether it was worth it to serve God. There's no more question no more wondering. No more battle with thinking about things that are just temporal that just last for a moment. Now all that matters in the hearts of every person that's in this that's in this moment is just that of gratefulness. Wonder. Awe and anticipation. And that's the scene when, as if on cue, in a moment, verse number 10 of Revelation 4 takes place. And the Bible says that the four and twenty elders, those that were seated on those seats, the four and twenty elders... Now there's a danger in my reading this because all of a sudden we step out of the scene and we look at the words on the page. And you you miss the intensity and the emotion of the moment when you don't allow yourself into it. This is a scene that will take place in the future. But I want you to watch it in your mind now. See, if you will, knowing the people that are around you, and the attitude and the atmosphere and the heart cry and the anticipation of everyone near you look at the th- look at the throne on on the platform see the glory see the rainbow the beasts flying and the 24 elders and watch take place what happens when in a moment 24 elders fall down before him that sits on the throne and they worship him that liveth forever and ever They cast their crowns at His feet and they cry out, Thou art worthy, O Lord, for Thou hast created all things and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. And if you allow your heart and your mind to see what it is that takes place, it will cause you to stop And remember the importance and value of why we gather here this morning. Revelation chapter 4, verses 10 and 11 act as a proclamation of the greatness of God. Seeing the scene is enough if you see it with eyes of faith, knowing that this will take place in the future. It is enough for your heart to be drawn to the God who loved you and gave His Son so that you might join with hundreds of thousands of others in worship at His throne and spend forever with Him. That is certainly true but I will tell you that a number of years ago when I was reading through Revelation chapter 4 and I got to this passage, there was something that struck me that, that grabbed my attention to the degree that I thought, oh man, there's, there's a reason why this is in here and that really adjusts the way I think about my life and about God and about how life is to be lived. And I'm going to show it to you. It's what the 24 elders say Now, what they do is important, but what they say when they fall down before him that sat on the throne. Look at verse number 11 with me, if you will, please, because in verse number 11, these 24 elders, after casting their crowns at the feet of Almighty God, they declare this. They cry this out. They say, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now, what they say is factual. That is, you and I know that God is the creator of everything that exists. If if you're alive, then you live because God wanted you to live. There's nothing in existence that God did not create. Now, it is true that Satan and mankind has warped what it is that God has created, but the beginning of everything, when everything was good that was made, that's God's doing. And God is the creator of all things. So, when you read, Thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure, thy pleasure, that is, your desire, they were created. In other words, we're in existence because God wanted us to be. When the Bible says, for thy pleasure they are created, it doesn't mean that God wanted a play toy. It's not that kind of pleasure. It means it was God's desire that the world existed, and because it was God's desire, then the world exists. It was out of his heart, which, by the way, just as a quick aside, is an encouragement and a humility. It's an encouragement in the sense that every person that lives, lives because God wants you to. The humility of it is, it matters not your status in life. The richest, the poorest, the president, the pauper, the king, all are created based on the same principle, and that is that God wanted you to be created. It's all God's doing. So as one writer wrote, it's enough to lift the head of the poorest and humble the head of the richest. And that is certainly true. But let me tell you what grabbed my attention. It was the first phrase that the 24 elders spake. Now, look, look at it. Look at verse number 11. And, in fact, let me, let me give the reference, and then I want you just to give me the first, uh, let's see, the first three words. Now, let's go five. First five words. Let me give the reference, and then you read for me the first five. Ready? Revelation chapter 4, 11, begin. Okay, let's try it one more time. First five words, it ends with the word Lord. Here we go, ready? Revelation 4.11. Okay, now why is that so valuable? Why, why is that so important? Well, the word worthy means worth, uh, thus worthy, worth. That is the value. Thou art worthy, O Lord. Why, why is that ear-catching? Well, let me tell you why it was for me and maybe it will connect with you the same way it has for me and make the difference for you that it's also made for me. Here's, here's, here's what I gathered. When I thought about this, I thought to myself, wow, thou art worthy. Thou, God, thou art worthy. It makes sense. It's fitting. It's right that you would receive from us glory, honor, power. Okay, why is that right? And here's what I thought about myself. I realized how very man-centered I am in the way that I think about life, certainly. I mean, all of us are aware of ourselves more than other people. If you're hungry, you know about it. If you're thirsty, you know about it. If you're tired and want me to stop talking, you know that about you. But all of us are aware of that. But I also thought how man-centered we are in the way that we think even about, even about God. So the Bible says thou art worthy of glory. Glory means to have a good opinion or praise. Okay, so let me, let me ask you a question. You don't need to answer it out loud. This is, this is a little rhetorical and, and I just want you to think. Do you have a good opinion about God? That is, when you, when you think of God, do you, have, do you give God glory? Do you praise Him in your heart? Well, why? Well, what most of us would think is, well, I praise God because God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. We talk about the blessings that we receive from God and how we praise God because of the uh, oh the beautiful weather has been mentioned, the fall weather started up. We have a place to meet together. We have friends to meet with, the enjoyment of just life and all of these good things that God has given us. We live in the United States of America. We have food to eat, and we have a place to stay. Man, God is so good, and we praise God because He has been so good to us. Huh. So God's worthy of praise based upon what it is that I receive? Or uh, the Bible says he's worthy of glory, honor. Honor means the place of prominence, preeminence. Honor has, uh, is being put in a higher place. Uh, it actually means to carry weight. Like the phrase, well, what that person says carries weight. When they speak, people listen. All right. So in your life, you have someone that you care about, that what they say matters. True? In other words, if, if for, Brittany and I have been married for 21 years, and um, my love for Brittany extends to the place where what Brittany thinks and what Brittany wants matters to me. In other words, don't take this out of context. Brittany has weight in my life, but don't go anywhere else with that. It's just, she has weight. In other words, what she thinks, what she wants matters. If, if you're sick and in the hospital, nigh unto death, and I happen to be here, and Pastor Vince called up and said, hey, so-and-so is sick in the hospital, nigh unto death, you want to go visit him? It'd be my pleasure. It'd be my honor to be able to come and visit you and talk with you and pray with you. I'd be glad to do it. However, if you were sick in the hospital, nigh unto death, and at the same time my wife is sick in the hospital, nigh unto death, well, be ye warmed and filled, but I'm going to be with my wife. Why? Well, because she has a place of honor to me. She has a higher place. What she thinks, what she wants, what she needs matters. Okay, so the Bible here says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor. A place, a first place. What he thinks, what he says, what he wants matters. But why? Well, somebody says, because... God wants what's best for us. And since God wants what's best for us, then it just makes sense to go with what God says, even if it's a little different than what I might want myself. Go with what God says, because what God wants is what's best for us. So God deserves a place of honor because of what's best for me. Um, Glory, honor, power, strength, ability, Romans 12, 1, where we are beseeched to give our bodies to God. That is, my strength and my abilities, my talents, everything that I have, everything that I am, I give it to God. Well, why would I do that? Well, because God can take it and make something beautiful, and you can't improve on what God wants for your life. So again, I'm giving God power, my strength, because of what, what I receive? Okay, do you see how man-centered that is in the way that we're thinking about God? let Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. Okay, as a preacher, it's my responsibility to tell you what it is that God says. Are you with me thus far? So that I'm supposed to study the Bible, and when God shows me something out of the Bible and puts it on my heart to show you what it is that God says. That's what I'm supposed to do. And I'm supposed to tell you both the do's and don'ts that God lays out. In other words, if God says, this is wrong, don't do it, then I'm supposed to come to you and say, hey, God says, this is wrong, don't do it. And if God says, hey, this is good, this is right, do this then I'm supposed to come to you and I'm supposed to say, hey, 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 this is right, do this. Now, I don't mean this in a mean-spirited way at all and certainly not arrogant, but I'm supposed to tell you don't and do without regard to how you feel about it. I'm not talking about coming in a mean-spirited way and trying to make people mad, not at all. I am just mean that I'm supposed to say what God says without considering, without it being a consideration of, well, will they like me because of it? Will they accept it? Uh, I don't know. My telling you don't do is based purely on God's calling on my life to declare to you what the Bible says, correct? Do you understand that? Okay, so let me tell you what oftentimes happens to me when I am in the midst of preparing to give you something that God says. When I'm studying the Bible and I see where God says don't or do, and I'm putting it down in a way to deliver it to you, in a message that oftentimes I find myself looking either around the passage where God says don't or do, um, or else thinking logically about how when I tell you don't do this or do this, how I can explain to you how it will benefit you if you'll obey God. Don't do these things because if you do these things, your life will be worse for it. Think about, the, think about what happens when you make this decision to disobey God. It can lead you to this. It could lead you to this. It could lead you to this. It could end here. Don't do that. It'll mess up your life. It'll mess up your life. Don't do it. And God says to do these things. Why? Well, if you do these things, think of how much better it will be. God's blessing can rest on you. Your life will be happier because of it. Your home will be happier because of it. Your marriage will be happier because of it. Listen and believe what God says because what God says works. And so do what God says and it's the best version of you that it can be. Do it because it helps you. Okay, so a lot of times as a preacher, as I've said before, <laughs> I feel like I'm um, a little bit of a cheerleader trying to like uh, encourage people into following what God says. Don't do the things God says don't do. Do the things God says do. If you'll do that, I'm telling you there's lots of blessings and don't you want God's blessings? Yes, you do. You want God's blessings. So you obey God and you'll get the blessings that God has to give. I'm telling you it's so good. Oh, yes, it's so good. It's like delicious food. Oh, don't you love delicious food and it's good for you? Oh, that's wonderful. You obey God and this is what you get. Okay, now let me ask you a question to which you can't answer out loud, and please do. Does God promise blessings to people who follow him, yes or no? Sure. If you stay away from the things God says to stay away from, will that help you to avoid issues in your own life, yes or no? Absolutely. If you do the things God says to do, will that benefit you? Will there be blessings from God on your life, yes or no? absolutely, if you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Stay away from sin. It will benefit. It will. It will. Okay, but friends, friends, listen, please. That's really not the point. In Revelation chapter 4, when 24 elders fall down before Him that sat on the throne, and they worship Him that liveth forever, casting their crowns at His feet, what they declare is this. Thou art worthy, O Lord. And the point is this. God's worthiness is not based on what I receive from Him. God's worthiness is based solely on the fact that He is God. His worthiness of the worship of 24 elders and hundreds of thousands of others who will gather on that day is not based upon the fact that they had food to eat or enjoyment in the houses in which they lived or that they had a place to meet in order to have services or beautiful weather or bad weather. The worthiness of God is based solely and completely upon Himself. He is worthy because He is God. And nothing can ever change that. Well, somebody says, but Tim, if we've already established that God is good to those who live in obedience to Him, and there are blessings that come for following, obeying, worshiping, serving God, then what difference does it make if I give God what He's worthy of because He's worthy of it, just by nature of who He is, or if I give him what he's worthy of because of the blessings that I receive from it. What difference does it make? Either way, I'm serving God. So why does it matter? Okay, here's why it matters. Please catch this. Here's why it matters. Because if you're following an obedience to God, are you still with me? If you're following an obedience to God, is based upon what you receive from God, then the moment that the perceived blessing from God doesn't match up, doesn't have as much weight, isn't as immediately good as the blessing from living in obedience, or the blessing that you could get by walking your own way, as soon as what you feel like you could get by doing your own thing outweighs in your mind what you'll have to wait for from God, then the temptation to walk your own way is going to be huge. In other words, if it's a matter of, well, I don't really see how not obeying God in this area is really going to affect my life it's certainly not worth obeying God and waiting for maybe a little bit of a blessing that may come come later on, but it's not as much fun as what I can get if I do what I want right now. As soon as, as, soon as what I perceive I can get by walking my own way, as soon as that outweighs that which God has promised in the future, then the temptation to walk my own way is going, is going to be huge. Okay, but listen. If my obedience, if my service to, if my love for, if my worship of, if my response to God is based upon the fact that He is worthy because He's God, then it does not matter what circumstances I have in life. It does not matter how futuristic the blessings may be. It does not matter if I receive good or evil at the hand of the Lord. The way I treat and the way I respond to, the way I obey God (laughs) is decided based on His worthiness. His worthiness does not change. If I am sick, He's worthy. If I am healthy, He's worthy. If I am rich, He is worthy. If I am destitute, He is worthy. If my friends love me, He is worthy. If my family forsakes me, He is worthy. If all the world agrees with me, He is worthy. If no man can understand why I do what I do, God is still worthy. Do you see what kind of impact this makes? Can you see what kind of difference this makes? If no longer, is spending time in prayer worth it? Is there enough benefit to reading God's word every day? Does staying away from that which God warns me to stay away from, does that really bring enough blessing in my life to merit my actually staying away from it? The point is, God is worthy regardless of what I do or don't receive because it's not about Me. Now, it's not like I have to live surprised when God blesses those who live in obedience. In other words, it's not like I follow God and I go, oh, wow, I really got a blessing. I can't believe that happened. Well, no. No, I mean, God promised it. However, if I receive good or evil at the hand of the Lord, he's worthy. Okay, just let, let me just give a couple examples just, just to get our brains in the right direction and then we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to impress this truth on our hearts and, and make a difference in our lives with it. Look. Um, okay, let's, let's go home. Um, home life. Um, husbands and wives. Just, just out of curiosity, how, how many of you in here are married? May I see your hands, please, just so I know? Okay, so enough that this, this will make sense. So here's a husband and a wife, and um, this has never happened in your home, I understand. And it's, not, and it's never happened in, in Brittany and I's home, I understand. But sometimes husbands and wives have disagreements. Not, not you guys, but other people. You've read books. You know, you've read books about people who have disagreements. And sometimes a wife knows what buttons to push in order to upset a husband. Again, not our home, and not your home, but other people. So sometimes a wife knows just what to say or what to do, or a husband knows just what to say or how to act, or sometimes he doesn't know, um, and that's almost as bad. Again, in the books that I've read, that's what I've experienced. I mean, that's what I have seen in books that I've read. So sometimes there's, there's something that can happen. Okay, um, let's back up a step. Does God give any instructions to husbands about how to treat their wife? wife not wives, wife. Does God give any instruction... To a husband about how to treat his wife, yes or no? Okay, um, gi- give me give me some of the instruction God would give. Just short, quippy ones. Okay, love your wife. Any others? <laughs> nope, that's all I got. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, there's an impossible one besides love your wife, and that is dwell with them according to knowledge. Um, that that is I'm sup- I'm supposed to be aware of. Um, her needs physically, emotionally, um, spiritually, I'm supposed to be the leader. There's there's a number of instructions that I'm supposed to have. The love that I'm supposed to love my wife with is a selfless, is a selfless love. So all of this, all of this I know, and you do too. I mean, if you just read the, if you read the Bible in the passages that talk about family at all, this is what you get. Okay, ladies, is there any instruction for you all that are married on how you're supposed to treat your husband? Yes, is there? I'm not even going to ask what it is because I'm not going to start a riot this morning. But there is instruction from the Scripture, right? Where God says this is the way it's supposed to work. This is the framework. Okay, so totally made up. Husband and wife. Disagreement. The wife says something that pushes the button of the husband. In that moment... If you set before the husband, hey, you treat your wife the way God said to, and 30 years from now, you'll be happy about it. Or, you go ahead and get off your chest what you want to get off your chest, suggesting that you're lost. I've never been lost a day in my life. So I don't know exactly where I am, but I'll find it. There's still a sun in the sky. I can find it. You set before a husband in that moment. You can just go ahead and say what you want, you'll feel better about it. Or 30 years later, you'll be glad that you've treated her, dwelled with her according to knowledge, and treated her with unselfish love. All right, now from all the books you've read about it, Which one does the husband choose, if it's based on what I receive? Okay, listen, just think. But if I respond to my wife, based upon the fact that God is worthy, then it doesn't really matter what she says or does. God is worthy, and here's what he says. You see the difference it makes? My life is not a series of responses where I'm deciding which is the greatest benefit. My life starts at the foundational level of thou art worthy, O Lord. Let me give you another one, and this is going to sound like an um, arm twister, and it's not what it's intended to be. So please, just hear me in context. It's just something that, that easily speaks to me, and so it's easy for me to, to share it. Almost every week, we are our, our families in different churches, and I'm preaching in revival meetings. And so almost every Sunday morning, almost every Sunday morning, I'll get up and I'll say something like, Hey, glad that you're here. We're looking forward to this week. This is an important week. This is a week that's set up. It's designed to help this church. And so I hope you'll come to every service. I don't know what your normal habit is, but come back in this afternoon or this evening service. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday this week, um, come to every service that you possibly can. Seven o'clock, seven o'clock. There's a lot going on. You'll enjoy the service, but please come. This will help you. Okay, now I mean everything that I say. I am glad that you're here and I'm glad that we get to be here and I do believe that this week will help this church and I do believe that God will speak to us and I do think that God wants to do something special this week. That is all very, very true. Okay, but let me ask you a question and just think and please, this is not, again, this is not meant as a backstab, not at all, but just think about it. If we lived from the platform of thou art worthy, O Lord, would an encouragement like that even be necessary? We say, Tim, that seems like a little backhanded to like, twist our arms with that. It's not at all. Here, I, I mean this with everything in, that's in me. I don't know what your normal habit is. Pastor Vince hasn't said anything to me at all. I don't know if everybody comes back in the afternoon. If nobody does, I don't know. But... If you don't think that you're supposed to come back or your thought is, well, Tim, I've heard you speak and it's just not worth it. <laughs> I mean, the pews are comfortable, but not that comfortable. And there's other things I like to do in the evenings. <laughs> and if, maybe if you were a more entertaining speaker or um, if your son could sing better, but he hit bad notes this morning. So um, it's just not... If what you're saying is the benefit isn't high enough? Well, you say, Tim, are you telling me that because God's worthy, I'm supposed to come to every service? What I'm saying is, if you believe that God is worthy, then just ask Him. And I mean that honestly. Ask Him. And if He tells you don't come, then don't. But if His instruction through His Word or by His Spirit to you is, hey, even if you don't go for the bum that's speaking, or for the pure enjoyment of gathering together, why don't you go because I'm worthy? I'm just saying, you ought to consider the fact, you ought to be honest at least about who the center of your universe is. Does that make sense? So 24 elders fall down before him that sat on the throne. They worship him that liveth forever and ever. They cast the crowns before the throne and they cry out, Thou art worthy, O Lord. And you want to know what, friends? He is worthy. Whether I acknowledge him as such, does not change what he is. There will come a day that before the Lord Jesus Christ, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And on this day, Revelation 4 day, hundreds of thousands of people, I'm convinced, will fall down before him that sits on the throne. But I don't want to wait till that day to recognize or to declare Because God is not worthy on that day. God is worthy on this day. And He's worthy just because of who He is. And Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, though not in physical presence, in faith and in recognition, as we have gathered together today in the name of Your Son, and in worship of you, our great God, we call it a worship service. As we come, we, we need, oh God, that you would impress upon us. <laughs> we need you to impress upon us the worthiness that you have because of who you are, just because you're God. And would you please allow this truth to be driven deep into our hearts and our souls and our consciences, that it would impact every day of our lives as we work, as we spend time as families, as we speak to one another, as we make decisions about what we'll do. May it start, God, help it to start at the place that has you at the center and not us. And may we live our lives based upon the truth that Thou art worthy, O Lord. And I bow my heart and my head, O God, with 24 elders. And right now, I worship You. And please help my friends as they do the same. I ask this, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, with heads bowed and eyes,